Hey there, you're listening to Onward Stories. I'm your hostess, Cupcake, Ann Shrake. Thanks for joining me today. This podcast has helped me feel better and more deeply after the loss of my baby, and I hope it does the same for you. I invite you to join my upcoming online writing workshop for people who have lost a baby. You can start your story at onwardstories.com. Now here's a little bit about this episode. My guest Gina Kornfeind is the support and bereavement coordinator and social worker in the pediatric pain and palliative care program at Mattel Children's Hospital UCLA, where she helps families and staff learn to live with the loss of a child. Gina is called in when there is a child who is seriously ill, dying, or who has died. She has an immediate impact on the children she meets, as well as their parents, siblings, and family members. I met Gina the summer after Michael died at the Celebration of Life ceremony that she helps put together through UCLA. She was so kind in my short conversation with her that I still remembered her five years later when I started Onward Stories. She was the first person I thought of as someone I had to talk to, and she has been an incredible resource. I really feel as though I could have a hundred interviews with Gina because she's so knowledgeable, but for this episode, we just focused on one topic, going back to work after the loss of a baby. Gina, you are such a gift to UCLA and the families who need you. Thank you for sharing some of your wisdom here. Let's start this onward story. Good morning. Good morning. And I am the pediatric pain and palliative care social worker and bereavement and support coordinator and of all of pediatrics. So that ranges from the emergency room to general pediatrics, to the neonatal intensive care unit, to the pediatric intensive care unit, and all of the units here. I have been here about um, nine and a half years. Wow. And my, interestingly enough, my background is um, I went to, I got my bad, uh, master's in social work um, and early childhood special education. Oh. And um, I, my first jobs were NICU, neonatal intensive care, and hematology oncology, both of which had a lot of loss, a lot of pediatric death involved. Mm -hmm. And I found myself, even at the age of 24, um, being very drawn to accompanying parents and families on that journey of end of life, being able to walk with them and trying to make it as good as it can be, knowing that it maybe wasn't the ending they hoped for, um, but that this is a sacred part of their child and their family's journey. I could see, I could see that about you because you have such a natural way with parents. Um, when I see just the way you talk about it, your emails, the way you communicate about it. I mean, I know that's from so much experience too, but it's really, it seems almost just innate that you have such a caring way about you in, in such a difficult um, field, I guess, um, to navigate. I mean, I feel lucky that um, my mom is a psychologist, my grandma is a nurse, my aunt's a psychologist, I mean, a social worker. My husband and I met in social work um, in our master's program, playing oh. volleyball, and, um, <laughs> and I have a daughter who's a social worker. So it does run in our blood, and I... I feel very blessed that I had a lot of great role models. Um, but I feel like I was called to do this mm. kind of work. And um, it's, it's just such an honor and privilege. And I think that uh, touching humankind 
and especially parents during a, a crisis and a really scary, overwhelming um, time is, is really important to be able to be a shepherd with them. Um, and I, I, I've learned from so many families and from my own personal experience um, with one of my children who was very sick for a while um, about kind of uh, how to do this, how to, how to walk. And the, and the aim of palliative care, actually, people often don't understand what palliative care is. It's not, it's not hospice. People say, oh, it's hospice. Or they'll say, well, we're not ready for palliative care yet. And a lot of times we hear that in the hospital. And what palliative care is actually is helping, um, pediatric palliative care is helping um, children and families who have a life-limiting illness mm -hmm. and helping them with pain and symptom management with quality of life planning, with goals of care, mm. um, maybe family conferences, looking at goals of care, what's important to them. And then if the, the goals shift from curative to more comfort, we look at end-of-life care, end-of-life planning, and bereavement. Gotcha. So really, um, we had someone from our hospital from the... Um, chairs department sitting in our rounds with us for a month and after sitting with us week after week she said i think every child in this hospital should receive palliative care Aww. because who doesn't need pain and symptom management we we like to think we're an extra layer of support yeah we have the flexibility to spend time so our typical visits with the family will be 20 to 40 minutes building rapport building trust and then if things shift and change we, we can sit down and say, you know, I think things are changing or we're at a crossroads. And you know how we talked about that there might come a time? Well, this is now the time. Mm -hmm. We need to make some hard choices and look at things. And, um, and that's, that's what we do. But we like to build it along the way. Yeah, and so then, you're not coming out of nowhere saying that stuff. They have already met you. Exactly, because mm -hmm. you've got when you have a child in the hospital or a baby in the hospital, you're you're already the minute your child is going to the NICU, mm -hmm. um, it, it's the plan has been diverted from yeah. this all your hopes and dreams of that homecoming and the car seat that's in the car and mm -hmm. or if the baby was premature, you know, just that maybe you didn't even have a baby shower. Right. and you were barely showing. Mm -hmm. um, so all of those things that you had planned are the losses begin. Yeah. And um, so we, we like to be there and be present. And um, I just lost my train Oh, well, I was going to, I okay. was already thinking of my next question. Okay, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned meeting your husband in college. And um, tell me a little bit about who makes up your family, and do you want to talk a little bit about your child who was sick? Sure. So um, I have a husband, Fred, who is he is a social worker, and then he went back and he became a psychologist, and he's at the VA oh. working um, with older adults. So we like to say we span um, <laughs> right. the population, uh -huh. and um, he um, he's been at the VA. He is also a musician, so mm -hmm. we like to say that music's a big part of our family. Um, and I am so happy to say that at UCLA Mattel, we have this very robust music therapy program. Wow. It's a huge part of our 
NICU and um, memory making, and it's so special. Oh. I could do a whole podcast on that. We will. Um, so <laughs> yes, you should definitely talk to them. So um, then I have four daughters. Um, the oldest is 26, and she's a social worker herself. Mm. Uh, she works in the juvenile justice system um, with incarcerated young people, young adults um, in Brooklyn. And um, interestingly enough, what she's taught me is that most of the clients she works with, kind of the thread is that they've all had loss. Yeah. They may have had lost a parent, lost a parent to incarceration, or have had a sibling die themselves. So loss wow. that wasn't addressed and untreated has, you know, and with lack of social supports or maybe lack of education, has, you know, been really post-traumatic stress. Yes. So she's doing that. Then my second daughter is 24. She's the one that was sick. Um, she's in the restaurant business now in culinary management, um, restaurant management. Um, I'll get back to her sickness in a minute. Okay. And then the third daughter is 21. She's um, about to be a senior in college. And she is a um, going into early child or into um, she's in a teacher education program. So she wants to be a teacher of primary, so kindergarten, first, second, third grade. And um, she played soccer in college. Oh, the second one played volleyball in college. And um, so that's really exciting because I love that um, she's going to be educating youth. And she's already said she's in upstate New York that many of her children have loss as well. Mm. So kind of we're a family that yeah. likes to kind of we'll um, go there. We'll go there. <laughs> and then my fourth daughter is 16. She's going to be a junior in high school. Um, so circling back to my daughter that was sick when she was 14, she um, contracted swine flu, the H1N1 virus mm. and was at Santa Monica UCLA hospital for uh, almost a month um, in the ICU there, in and out, um, very, very sick, kind of on death's door a couple times. And there I was, this social worker, who was like, wow, um, you know, I've always done this for a living. Um, but there I was in the waiting room with other parents. And for the first week, I was just being social worker oh. in denial of the, that I was really a parent. I was helping other people. <laughs> and then it hit me that, oh, wow, this is what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. And um, now I've got to, you know, be mom and I have all these meal trains happening at my house. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. And I even thought I'm going to be a bereaved mom. I could be a bereaved mom, um, just like I've done all this time. Um, fortunately, she, she made it. She had um, some lung surgeries and, you know, was one of the lucky ones and um, had some residual problems and you know was out of school for several three months and took her a couple of years but ended up playing college volleyball and um you know was lucky but the interesting thing about her story was that because she was at santa monica hospital i ran into a, an old friend from church who was the director of development in pediatrics and she said are you still looking to go back to work because uh, i was doing something different i was oh. teaching mommy and me parent infant toddler classes Wow. For 10 years, I had taken a break from the medical huh. and was kind of doing that yeah. while I raised these four girls. And I said, yes, I'm really looking. In fact, I'd been looking online. And even though I had all this experience, I wasn't getting 
somehow they said I wasn't qualified mm-hmm. online, you know, how yeah, those things go. Right, right. When you're trying to go back to work or looking at things, it's not so kind and easy out there. Yeah. So I said, yes. And she said, well, there's a new position in, in pediatric palliative care. It's a brand new program. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, absolutely. And, and she said, why are you here? And I said, well, my daughter, I told her the story. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I'm just in a fog right now. Yeah. Like, this is surreal. Yeah. When you have a child in the hospital, I'm just, you know, driving and stopping at red lights and saying red light means stop, green yeah. light means go, surviving, switching days with my husband. Yeah. So fast forward, um, I had my first interview the day that my daughter was discharged from the hospital. And I walked into that room and actually the third interview was a panel of doctors a couple weeks later. And they were my daughter's doctors, some of them. And they looked at me and I looked at them and they were like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm interviewing for this job. And I didn't want to tell the people along the way that yeah. I didn't want to kind of twist it or, mm-hmm. or have an angle. So I kept that to myself yeah. and then I couldn't keep it anymore. And I said, well, I want to tell you that I think I'm really qualified for this job now because yeah. I'm living this. And okay. so I got the job. And I've been here all this time, and it's been it's been a real gift. Yeah. Um, and I also did um, have a pregnancy loss at um, close to 15 weeks, and um, between my third and fourth child, and you know, not it, it was. I, I acknowledge that it was a loss, and I did some things myself myself. Um, like writing a letter to that baby. Um, and I kind of pushed it aside for a while yeah. and said, well, I have three other kids and I shouldn't, you know, this isn't really that real and I'm okay. And mm-hmm. then I real, I had an OB, my OB who had her own loss at seven, a seven months gestation of a baby said, no, it doesn't have to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I burst into tears and oh. she let me, she, and, and she, she was there for you. She was there that's a little bit about me and my family yeah well it's interesting that you had this um very challenging experience with your daughter being sick and then it turns out you went back to work immediately you probably started this position pretty quickly yes and so that was what i wanted to talk with you about today even though there are a hundred topics i could talk with you about um i wanted to ask you more about the families that you meet who experience um a loss what what is normal or what do you recommend for families who um, want to take time off work or maybe don't want to take time off work? What's, what do you think about going back to work? Mm. That? That's a really important um, issue and topic. I think um, it, there's a huge range. And I think there are all kinds of workplaces and there's all kinds of benefits now some workplaces have grief and bereavement leave Mm -hmm. so that's important to ask about and i always always encourage families to have another family member or or friend who's willing to help even make those calls for you if you don't feel up for it um people want to help you they don't know how to help so these are the things they can help with you know could maybe it's your sister-in-law maybe it's your friend call your HR, your human resources department, or your boss on your behalf and say, you know, what do you have? There are some places that have 
three or four days, which we know is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the statistics when they've done research for what people think you should be back to normal, which we know you are never back to normal. You mm -hmm. have to find a new normal. But they think people should be back to how they were six weeks after the loss of a child. Mm -hmm. um, what we know, and based on the research of Therese Rando, who is an incredible writer on parental loss of a child, is mm -hmm. that two to seven years is the time it takes to really kind of find your way. That's not to say, you know, you're going to be better and time and work and addressing things um, helps, but six weeks is absurd. Mm -hmm. So there are some people that, um, so when they say that you have five days bereavement leave um, and you need to keep your job because you have to keep your insurance and you need to pay the bills, um, that's some people's reality. For other people, um, there is FEMLA, there is, um, there is taking a leave of absence, there is disability. So I encourage you, first of all, to find out what your work benefits are, um, to if you were in the hospital and had a social worker or even someone could call the hospital and say, do you have a social worker? I encourage you to get a letter from a social worker in case you need it or if you want it to say, you have been through a, a, a very big trauma and emotionally you need to be on some disability now. Mm. Um, so always know that that's a possibility or a grief and bereavement specialist at your hospital. Um, that's a very real thing, and we do that all the time. What about if someone, you know, their first initial reaction is a little bit like, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'll go back to work. What if late, you know, a month later they say, actually, I really think I do need some time off. Is that still okay to ask for a letter? Yes. At that time? Yes, I think it's okay to ask for a letter anytime. We've, we have a variety of parents. Um, I, I facilitate a parent-family um, bereavement group, and... Um, we have had the full range from people who have gone back. I'd say the earliest tends to be two weeks. Um, and then there's nine months later. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are people that don't go back at all and change jobs. But for, there are some people that try and realize it's really hard to concentrate. My boss is putting too much pressure on me. Um, I'm, I need to take a leave, um, which is your right. And then you can go back and get that letter. I think that there are going back to what your initial question was about what's normal and what kind of is typical. I think that for some people going back to work can be really helpful. Um, first of all, if your work is filled with supportive people, even one or two, um, that sets up a promising um, experience going back. The other thing that sets up um, a good experience going back is, and I think you have the resource as well as I do, as this great handout on going back to work, but is some basic things, which is sending an email or a letter ahead of time about what's happened to you and your family, um, what they can expect, mentioning things like it might be hard for me to concentrate, mentioning things like that, you know, I don't want you to not talk about it. Or I, I, I like when you say my baby's name. This is what we named our baby. Mm -hmm. um, and, and things that aren't helpful to me. And saying less is more. Some of those things are really easily put into an email or letter. Yeah. So when you can go back knowing there's support, um, I think that's helpful because going through a loss of a baby or a pregnancy or an infant is, can be very disconnecting and very isolating. And the general public 
doesn't know how to do this well. We are working so hard mm-hmm. um, on educating people about how to be, what to say, and that there aren't magic words. The most important thing is saying, I'm so sorry, yeah. um, and just checking in. But if you're going back to work and you're going to feel like you're sticking out and people are avoiding you, that can be really hard. So it's very helpful to let them know what is helpful and what isn't. They don't know. They don't know. And I think I would add that that's also something where if you went back to work and you didn't write that email and you feel like people are avoiding you or not sure how to talk to you, write it now. You know, you don't have to feel like, oh, you missed your opportunity to tell people. It'll probably feel a lot better to get it out there and let people know what they can expect. Exactly. And it's, it's that's such a good point. It's never too late for anything. And one of the things people mention when they do mention it at work or share it is that people come out of the woodwork who had yes. their own loss, who've never talked about it, mm. never dealt with it. Because whether they're family, well-intended, or society kind of, we call infant loss sometimes a disenfranchised loss, Mm. which means it's not validated. Mm. People say things like, well, you can always have another one, or thank goodness you didn't get to know the baby. Thank goodness. No. (laughs) You, you, You knew the baby by conceiving, by caring, by your hopes and dreams. So Mm -hmm. that's not true. Um, And so it's really neat when people realize, wow, like this is a healthy thing to talk about it. And she or he mattered. And, um, and so, yes, you're, you're so right that it's, it's never too late. You might want to try it and think that I'm just going to kind of keep it to myself because I don't want to cry and I'm going to get through and I want to do my work. But realizing that there are a lot of triggers or landmines, we call them along the way that come out of the blue. I call it a stug, a sudden temporary upsurgence of grief. When you know that certain days might be, for some of our families in our group, it's the 13th of the month because that was their day their son died. Mm. For the first year, that 13th is always in their head. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it's the birthday. Then it's the um, Mother's Day. I mean, there are a lot of um, significant days, we call them. But then there are the times in between where you're least expecting it when someone brings in their new baby to work to show off. Yes. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, and I'm a big believer in if you go back to work, having your exit strategy, uh-huh. having a place oh, that this is so good. you yes, go please to. Please talk about that. Because I, I do hear people talk about someone at work made a pregnancy announcement. We're having a little work baby shower for somebody. And that is very challenging for someone to be around if they just lost a baby. Exactly. So um, finding that bathroom that might not be on your floor, it could be on a different floor. Uh-huh. Um, excusing yourself to go to the car, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is. I know one of our moms in our group, um, she's a teacher. And she, when she'd have those little moments, she, and, and she could, and she let her co-teacher know. She'd say, I need to excuse myself. She'd go to the bathroom. She'd have a, a little good cry. Yeah. Sometimes someone would come after her, which was really lovely. Yeah. Um, and she just needed five minutes. Um, other times, you know, depending on what your role is, um, if you're teaching and you're in the middle of something, maybe you can't. Um, grieving people learn how to kind of bite their lip and... Mm-hmm. and hang in there. Um, but there are other people that, um, I have another mom in our group who works in more of a cubicle desk job and she, and and another mom I can think of that, um, works in a factory setting where 
So that mom in the factory, it was really important that she did not talk about this loss and deal with it at work. She wanted to compartmentalize. Okay. Um, her son was 18, uh, 19 when he died mm-hmm. after a lot of medical complications his whole life. She just wanted work to be kind of her safe space. Yeah. And that's not where she talked about it when she got in a car on the way home. She left the floodgates open. Mm-hmm. She'd stop at the cemetery. But work was going to be, for her, a protective zone okay. and um, kind of walling off. But for this other mom, um, who's more of a cubicle-type job, um, she had pictures of her daughter, and she talked about her. And for people who wanted to, it was a beautiful, beautiful entree to, to talking about Emma. And, yeah. you know, she was very proud of her. Um, and, and, you know... She didn't want to be judged. She wanted to celebrate her. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then there was another mom who I think it was, she tried to go back, and I think it was after three or four months, she said, I can't concentrate. My boss is being really hard on me. And she got that letter, and she went on disability. And then she changed jobs, and I think she's in nursing, um, doing prerequisites for nursing. You mentioned that, that some parents change careers and move in a different direction. Can you talk about some? Yes, um, I can think of about four different parents. Two moms, um, one had a a baby boy who was stillborn. Actually, they both had baby boys who were stillborn, and they both are champions, and um, one has formed her own organization, um, which is coping with uh, pregnancy, infant, um, and neonatal death. And this is wonderful support system created a, a, a film about it has materials and she has really taken that loss and made this meaning that can help others. Um, another mom, same thing. I think she was kind of the co-founder of creating this birth certificate for stillbirth born, the certificate of life or of stillbirth. Um, that many people don't know about because before it was like in no man's land, I think it was yeah. a gray area of like, what is this? So it was a special thing. And then she's created this support group in um, Los Angeles in the Valley. So these two women took their losses and created foundations organizations. Um, another mom I know who had a, um, a seven-month um, pregnancy loss or loss of the baby, and, and um, she is a neonatal nurse now. Mm. So she became that, and she actually specializes in she will uh, attach herself to families where she knows the baby's going to die. And that's her area of expertise. Yeah. She, we, we had to help her kind of protect herself after a while, but that's her comfort zone and yeah. she lived it. Right. Um, and then this other mom who's going, Oh, and another mom who um, she was always a nurse, but after her daughter died, she decided to work in palliative care mm. nursing um, and really wanted to be on that journey with these families. So, Yes. A lot of people do go into this field because of their child. And I call this post-traumatic growth, Mm. taking something that was really hard and painful and making meaning and helping other people. And boy, does that honor your child or baby. Um, They'd be so proud of all these people. I'm like, I'm so proud of you (laughs) for honoring Michael. Thank you, Gina. (laughs) Um, I've never heard that post-traumatic growth. I love that. Absolutely. And I I gravitate towards a positive take on on whatever life throws your way. And I love looking at things that way. So I'm going to use that. Yeah, it's a very big field now. And we talk about it for siblings, especially who have had 
a brother or sister die, um, where everything's been focused on post-traumatic loss, post-traumatic stress. stress. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a, a, a lot of research now that if we can help, um, especially children uh, it, who have suffered a loss, whether it's through, again, um, death or it could be abuse, um, uh, you know, yeah, abuse and neglect, that 50% are able to have post-traumatic growth versus the post-traumatic stress and go on and do things that are amazing because of this. Um, We have, uh, if you'd like, I'd love to share about some of our siblings in our sibling group. Um, Our our modality in our bereavement group is we have the whole family come together because we believe the whole family has experienced this loss. Um, If the parents don't have any other kids, they still come. But if there are other siblings, they come together. We provide a supper, a dinner, and we help them learn to like be at the table in a new way without this other child or baby. And um, then we split up into groups. So the parent group and the sibling group. And what we've seen is the, the two siblings that have graduated from high school and are now in college or in real life from our program who each were there at least three years or if not four. Mm-hmm. Um, one is in pre-med, pre-nursing. I think she's not quite sure yet. Mm-hmm. And the other is in EMT, finished EMT school and is EMT. And this, this is their passion. A lot of these kids want to go into healthcare. Yeah. And um, because they've seen, they've seen the growth that can happen when you, when you, know how to navigate that that tough road exactly exactly and they they have seen the nurses and the physicians um and different roles at our hospital because they were all here at UCLA Mattel but they have seen them um be able to be with them and to support them and to be there Mm -hmm. even at the end when things were hard and they want to be that for other people and they value how important that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's how I talk about all the staff I've interacted with at UCLA, both at Santa Monica and Ronald Reagan. It's just an unbelievable level of caring. It's not just about the medicine. It's that, that feeling of being cared for mm-hmm. by people so deeply um, that I could see how that would inspire <laughs> young people to want to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really, um, it's really neat. I think that it is. I'm so glad that you feel that way and that you, that's really important to us um, in our mission here yeah. is, is in all ways that we can for you to feel cared for, important part of the non-medical member of the team um, that we're guiding you, we're on the journey with you. And mm-hmm. I've also noticed that we have a, a quite a big number of medical students and residents who when, because as you mentioned in the beginning, when you met me, I try to make everyone feel quite comfortable <laughs> and welcome and I'm a hugger when people yeah. want to hug. Make sure I ask them first, but um, that they have opened up to us um, when they're rotating with us on, on our, as an elective, let's say in palliative care, that they had their own loss of their sibling mm. or a baby or um, a, a sibling with a chronic illness. And so I think we're seeing a lot of people that bring their own um, stories. Right. And oh my gosh, when I do debriefings for staff here, because yeah. we like to take care of our staff too, it's really, really important it shows. <laughs> um, to process with them because yeah. they care about all these families and they take it home with them. 
but I would say a huge number of nurses um, have come into this from their own personal experience. When I ask them that, um, it's, you know, people are touched by this and we want to make sure that we're um, caring for people and how lucky we are that they all are choosing to come in, give back, make connections mm-hmm. and um, be with families during dark times, but during a sacred time. And I like to say it is sacred. And we do, I think the neatest part of my job is being able to see healing and to see families heal and to see people when you go back to work, going back to that topic, you, it's hard. A lot of grieving families don't want to be the ones that have to teach and educate because you're so depleted and you're so tired. But we do have to be the teachers. And if we can teach people one person at a time, yeah. then they've learned and they won't stay away from grieving right. people. They'll be able to help. Mm-hmm. help people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm sure you have many cool stories of miracles, but I was going to ask if you could think of one that you could share with us. Oh, <laughs> that's so easy for me. <laughs> I have the best miracle story ever. Yeah. Um, and I asked permission of this family. Uh, gosh, it could bring tear to my, tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say one thing in general, yeah. which is that, honestly, um, we our family bravement group is made up of any family who has lost a child from one breath of life to um, 23 years old, whatever, if, as long as they were in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. We have, there's another special program in the community that's more for stillbirth and pregnancy loss. But in our program, we have always, um, let's say of our 20 families um, that are on our roster of our group, we have maybe three to four to five at a time that are neonatal loss. And a lot of them, it's their first baby they've lost. So, and they keep coming to the group and they come for months and a couple of years and then they're pregnant. And um, so I will say my first miracle stories are that every single time they have had their first baby who has survived and I got to meet that baby. One time it was in Westwood at a coffee, um, coffee place. I just, I start weeping and I apologize, I don't weep, but I start (laughs) crying and I apologize to them, but it is just such a miracle to see them holding this cooing, crying, you know, (laughs) beautiful, beautiful baby. And their other babies are beautiful too, but they're meant to be parents and parenting babies that are going to make it too. And so I just, it's just, I have chills right now all over thinking about all those babies I'd meet for the first time and seeing the beaming smiles of the families holding them and also talking about how their baby that we remember is that big sister or brother and always remembering that. But my miracle story is a family um, I had the privilege of meeting um, whose baby, um, Evelyn was here at UCLA Ronald Reagan for four days, um, and, um, was born um, close to full term and died from a rare, um, just complication of, uh, maternal fetal, like blood, something or other. Okay. And, um, and so, um, she lived and died and, um, amazing family, beautiful family. And, this mom, April, was um, had agreed. Um, we we had set, we met her um, and 
we were sending her bereavement support information and we got to know one another and she was going to be on the panel at a symposium. We were going to have a neonatal um, palliative care symposium here at Ronald Reagan. So she and I were talking on the phone and she let me know um, it was going to be on a Monday and we were talking and um, she said, oh, by the way, I'm, f I'm 15 weeks pregnant and I'm really excited. Um, uh, but I have an appointment the day of the symposium with the high-risk doctor. And so I just want to let you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be coming from that or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, no problem, fine. And we were talking about Evelyn and the whole thing. And then the next day she called me on Saturday and told me or emailed me um, that um, at work that there were some complications that she was going into the hospital mm. and that something, it wasn't so good what was happening. And then by Sunday and Monday, I found out and that she probably wouldn't be able to make the symposium. And I'm like, oh my gosh, don't worry about it. Yeah. And long story short, um, that pregnancy, she started, um, she had major, major complications um, and started hemorrhaging. And in order to save her life, um, she had to have a complete hysterectomy and lost baby James. And um, and so I went over to Santa Monica Hospital and I sat with her and her husband and we just you know, cried and hugged and just sat and, um, and said goodbye and just um, started to help her be with her. And so after that, um, she's just amazing. She wanted to find a way to kind of make meaning and do some healing and she started volunteering at our NICU in wow. Westwood wanting to make signs for babies beds she's very artistic mm. and creative and um and if if needed hold babies because she was very fine with that and we kind of talked a lot about what this would mean and she said fine yeah. and um along that way and she was doing amazing work and everyone loved her um she decided they wanted to have children uh, um, and try to again figure that out try adopting and different ways of having children and things weren't really going along but lo and behold along this process um, I even said I'd be a surrogate and quit I'd have to quit my job <laughs> be a conflict of interest I'm sure but um, <laughs> and then someone told her oh people in their 50s are too old because <laughs> her mom actually was volunteering Wow. Um, fast forward, all of a sudden, the miracle started to happen, which was that her sister-in-law said, um, who had had a baby, and I think I was about, I was nine months old at the time, her sister-in-law said, um, I want to be your surrogate. And they started this process, and um, lo and behold, they, um, their implantation and everything, I don't know all the correct terminology, mm -hmm. everything worked out. And her sister-in-law was pregnant with a baby girl and in Chicago, and they would fly back and forth to appointments. And I think it was November, in November, um, baby Lillian Sophia of, oh. let's see, a year and a half ago, was born to April oh. and Paul, and um, they were there. Oh. The whole thing, the whole thing was, there was another miracle with that, and April has a blog, tells the whole story. But um, when they brought this baby, um, and, and, and April and Paul come every year on um, the anniversary of Evelyn's death and bring beautiful books that can be read, other families read to their baby as they're dying or saying goodbye mm -hmm. in her honor, um, and they bring a basket 
for the nurses of um, goodies to always looking out for taking care of them. Mm -hmm. um, they, it was very important to them when they were bringing Lillian for the first time that certain doctors and nurses be there and sure, to meet Lillian. <laughs> so I think the other, the mirror, there were so many layers of miracles, but every time um, they would ask and a nurse would be nervous and I'd tell the nurse, like, it's going to be okay, then I'd bring that nurse into the waiting room and that nurse would just shed tears and say, thank you, I never thought I could do this, but like this, thank you for letting me heal along with you. And so they're, they got a gift and a miracle, and then they kept spreading right. this miracle and giving hope and and just touching. And they they come at least once a year, and that is a beautiful, beautiful story. So that's that is the miracle. I mean, um, that that story could give hope to anyone. Absolutely, absolutely. And she figured out a way to to nurse. Wow. And do some jump starting and yes, doing I've something. I've heard that that's possible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Cool. And in her blog, she writes about that it's, there's still pain and there's still, you know, yes. that we acknowledge all this, but yes, the miracle, miracles do I'll, happen. I'll and, link to her blog. Yes, amazing. So I believe in many miracles and um, I feel that every Every family I work with and every group I do is um, has its own miracles and mm -hmm. the connections. If you can find a way to take your loss and face it on your own time, yes, mm -hmm. you can curl up into balls at times, mm -hmm. but not for too long, mm -hmm. but baby steps, baby yeah. steps, a moment at a time, an hour at a time, going back to work and trying it. Maybe if that way doesn't work, trying a different way, mm -hmm. um, you know, and... And getting people, getting finding your champions and your support people. And there are people that drop off along the way. Um, and that's okay, too. That's okay. And we forgive them and we, we let them go because you're going to find, spend time with people who support you. You don't have time and energy mm -hmm. to do the other, um, but forgive yeah. and move forward. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gina, thank you so much. And so this is such a privilege. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. <laughs> thank you for listening and telling everyone you know about the Onward Stories podcast. Have you subscribed so you can hear the secret Easter egg episodes in between seasons that you won't hear about otherwise? You might want to go do that now. Go ahead. Thank you to Jason Crow for editing and to my daughter for the theme music. You can find me on Patreon and support the show for just a dollar a month. Please visit this podcast featured nonprofit, rtzhope.org. They are transforming the culture of silence and isolation around pregnancy and infant loss. At rtzhope.org, you'll find healing retreats, outreach and education, peer support and community, and empowerment. Lastly, I'd love to help you write your story in my upcoming writing workshop for parents who have lost a baby. You can start your story at onwardstories.com. <laughs>